Hello and welcome to episode 149 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. What's up, my friend Stan? They said 149 couldn't be done. It's the anniversary episode we've all been waiting for. We it's did wild. It. We are creeping up on year three. Oh my god. How? Who's How paying us to not, do this? Yeah, I still haven't been paid. <laughs> no, that, that's that's true. None of us have actually been paid for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. No, but um no, uh, it's good to see you all. I'm I'm fresh off my boosty. I got that I got that boost. I'm feeling good. Looking forward to, to Vegas. I'm ready. Also with us, the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. This intro is not about me. It's about the next person that we're going to talk about. That's right. Returning to the show, hot off a reasonably good run in Saturday's Modern Challenge. It's Zach Ryle, a.k.a. Mana Symbol. Zach, welcome back. Hey, congratulations on your upcoming Sesquene episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know how That's we do word. those things. Sesquicennial, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's exciting. Uh, hey, no, congratulations to you on um, what your new your new guest your new regular hosting spot over at Faithless Brewing. Yeah, it's super super exciting. I've been a fan of those guys for a long time. I've been part of their community. I was on their their show for three or four times. So um, I'm I'm, uh, I'm just really really happy to be able to join in with that. And, and Dan is just such a such an incredible person to uh, to talk to uh, when I get to. And uh, love those guys too. Does does he actually live in a cave? Have we determined yet if that's where Cave Dan comes from, or do we know? Well, he he's moved multiple times, so I assume wherever he's moved from, we should research the cave systems in the area cave to system. see if we can yeah. suss that out. Do you want me to do this like my 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 Cave Dan impression all episode, so you feel uncomfortable? <laughs> it's like, hello, Zach. It's no, me. no, no, no. I you know what? I love you guys to be yourselves, a hundred percent. You guys are incredible. Zach, I actually have a little bone to pick with you oh, on pick uh, away. the the most recent Faithless Brewing episode that you were on. You said with the utmost confidence that Crimson Vow would not be legal at the modern tournament in Vegas. And we've since determined that that may or may not be true. We oh just my God. don't know. So you're 100% right. So initially, everyone was thinking that it would be. It would be like day zero, nuclear meltdown. Everyone has to try to find the cards day of when the stores were only legally allowed to sell them like that day mm-hmm. uh, right. or you could get what you could on the opening weekend or pre-release the, the weekend prior. I've heard information one way or the other. I think it would be great for the tournament organizer to lay down the law and just say it either is or isn't. Um, and I would lean on the side of isn't. Yeah. The game is or isn't legal. Well, guess what? None of that matters because it's not going to impact modern that much. <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> hey, no spoilers about later in the episode, Shane. I want more optimism out of you last week. No, I am. I'm amped. I think there's a lot of like cool cards for Arena. Like I'm just, I know I'm gonna, I'm gonna cast a lot of these on Arena. I'm gonna like them. Okay. Well, now I think AFR had about four. No, that one had like two, two reasonable cards that made it in the format. Midnight Hunt had three or four. So we can expect a whole two percent of the set to be viable. That's all we need. That's a good rate. And if you want to hear Zach's takes on spoilers, listen to this week's episode of Faithless Spring, where he will be talking about it, or potentially on Serum Visions as well, um, depending on what's going on there. Uh, we're, but we have Zach on today to talk to us, as Stan mentioned, about his recent runs at the Modern Challenges that have been going on. And so we're going to do spoilers. 
after we have Zach on for the breakdown. That's kind of the, the game plan today. Is that right, Stan? That is right. I, I guess I'm not going to read this beautiful intro that I wrote. Thank you, Dave. Let's just hop right into housekeeping because clearly that's what you want to talk about. Thank you to the newest patrons to join the Dive Down Nation. We got Woosh. We got Thomas H. We got Daniel F. And we got James B. Man, we're having a couple good weeks of new citizens getting their papers coming through the borders of the Discord. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah, whoosh, there it is. Thank you so much. <laughs> we've got we've got a new review from Open Rev. I'm really glad, Open Rev, that we've got another casual dad spike uh, in the fold. So thank you for being a listener and for the review. All right, listen, all you moms and dads out there, we're recording on the first day of daylight savings time. If you have a kid, I feel your pain. I was up at 5 a.m. today. Because Junior thought it was 6 o'clock. He doesn't understand clocks yet. I don't know what's not to understand. It's just 24 hours in a day. Uh, Brian has uh, set up, Brian Madden, the co-host on uh, Serum Visions, with like, there's like a light in the kid's room that just like, Mm. if it's red, it's not time to go annoy mommy and daddy yet. And if it's green, uh, it's okay. So uh, if he wakes up. Does that work on infants? He's pretty young, so I I believe it does, but uh, maybe not on a one-year-old. I got to tell you. uh, this is this is some garbage. I have I got a six year old and a three year old, and we got we got the light, and we got the light. It's got a happy sun on it. It's got a happy moon on it. They know moon time. They know sun time. Those kids, they don't care. They come in the room any day, and they're like, "Dad, it's time for Scooby Doo." <laughs> and I get up and watch Scooby Doo now, and I'm like, "Go to bed, man. It's four thirty in the morning." If you'd like to support the show and uh, help us afford milk for our kids. Find us over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support us while playing Magic the Gathering with a Mana Trader subscription. If you sign up for Mana Traders with coupon code the dive down 2021, all one word, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic online cards. Thank you to everyone who's supported us thus far on either of those platforms. And this week on the on the news desk, Stan, I think uh, I think you wrote this breakdown, so we're going to have you do it. But I did want to say one thing before we get in here. We're recording this episode in real time with Zach this time, not six weeks ago, and then releasing the episode as the bonus. So, the, so some stuff has happened since that bonus episode was recorded and put out. It's a great bonus between Stan and Zach talking. But uh, lots happened for you in the last couple of weeks, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, literally that weekend, I mean, I talked in that episode about going to a paper tournament. I went to that weekend, split the finals with uh, Dom Harvey, who's a friend of mine. Um, uh, and then since then, uh, Face to Face started their open series, series which is kind of like uh, SCG for Canada. So um, there's going to be three major tournaments, and I top aided the Saturday. And uh, then I played in the Modern Challenge yesterday, uh, which I, I believe that I won. Oh, we're still waiting on the results from that. But I get stands on the news desk, so I guess he'll tell me if I won or not. They have, like, point corrections, like fantasy football? I assume. I don't know. I've never done this before. Hold on. Wait a second. Uh, <laughs> Zach, don't, don't, I need to talk to my co-host. Uh, just ignore, ignore us for one second. Don't listen to this. I'm, 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 I'm over here humming. <laughs> did, you, did you know Zach won? I had no idea. Oh, yeah. I thought he was invited him on to be nice. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh, this is awkward. Be cool. Be cool. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's right. We're going to talk about Saturday's Modern Challenge in particular. Yeah, and my biggest question for Zach actually is, how are you going to handle this on This Week in Modern when you have to talk about yourself? <laughs> yeah, well, 
Uh, that's where it's really great that I've created uh, alter egos for that's myself. Right. So yeah. I'm just going to do it like I do every single episode and read the name like it's someone that I don't know, because oftentimes it is. Uh, any chance that Gene Lanoir is going to have Zach Ryle on for a short interview to talk about oh, it? Oh, man. You know, we could see. I, c- I could do that, but like you guys have me on now, and I feel like he'd feel like he'd been scooped. Well, mm. You know, you could use the technology from the Michael Keaton classic Multiplicity and just have several. I mean, I, I've several already done it in the uh, Cards on the Modern Bandlist uh, music video that, that I was got good. to <laughs> show <laughs> off on on the stream. So uh, <laughs> I can I can definitely make it happen. I got a green screen. All right, let's get into this Saturday's Modern Challenge. One hundred and thirty six players, and though we only have the deck list for the top thirty two, we actually have the deck selections for all the players. Thanks to Bamzing, Canister, and Doom Switch all collaborating to get us basically an idea of what the metagame for this entire tournament looked like. So, you know, the way they actually do this is they watch the replays. What? Yeah. Those they are watch available the replays. still? Yeah. So, people have been doing this in, in um, vintage, particularly for a long time. <clears throat> there's like a vintage ELO project group or something like that. And I think there's one for Legacy that's been starting up too. Um, which is why if you've ever seen those subreddits, they'll have these incredibly accurate, detailed, like, charts with axes and little, like, points and little fields around them. And I don't understand any of this stuff. But um, and the, the way they do that is they have a group of people who both play the challenges and then stay afterwards and collect all that data on at least archetypes. But I think even then they run it backwards because they can have a, a screenshot of every single matchup and who won and since they know the archetype, they can extrapolate a sort of uh, archetypical win percentage against each other. Yeah. So I, I don't mean to digress. This is super fascinating. I had no idea that that's how they did it. Do you have to play in the modern challenge to see those replays? Yes. Okay. Yes, you do. And you can only see them once the tournament is over. And because of the memory leaks in Magic Online, apparently while they're collecting data, some people will have their client crash eventually. And so, and they and then they won't be able to get back in. So... Mm-hmm. They have to have enough people so that people can sort of grab all of the lists. <laughs> because this is, the because most this is how we have to do things. Because this is what we'll do for data. <laughs> I appreciate the hustle. Oh, man. I can't wait until Wizard sends these people a note and tells them to cut it out. Because that, that's, Gold- <laughs> that's what happened to Goldfish back in the day, wasn't it? When they right. were- but, but Goldfish was compiling matchup data, too. They for were saying who stuff. wins yeah. in matchups. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway. congrats to you. No spoilers, but uh, you did win this event, FYI. And uh, congratulations. Yeah. Before yeah. we actually get into the top eight, let's take a quick look at the archetype breakdown for the entire tournament okay. since we have this data. The two most popular decks among everyone who submitted, everyone who signed up, 10 pilots each were Black White Hammer and Is It Merktide? Take it or leave it. Yeah, there was also a good number of Jeskai Merktide, right? Which, like, let's be let's be let's be real. Like, how how different is Jeskai Merktide from Is it Merktide? So Jeskai runs Teferi. That's basically the main reason you're going for white. Prismatic, right? Too. I mean, Prismatic is the big reason. Or did they move away? Are are they still running both those cards, or are they? They're running both the cards. It's usually Prismatic endings in the main deck and Teferi in the side, but they're. There's no established, like, one list. It's like, you know how for a long time with, with Blue Red Murktide, people were just like, oh, well, they play their one main deck spell pierce. Well, they only have three counters. It's like, there, there was a very stock list. Jeskai's not quite there, so there are people kind of 
mixing them in and out, but um, prismatic ending to get out under chalice and to fairy for to fairy reasons are the the two major reasons. <laughs> to fairy reasons makes sense to me. Yeah, perfect. So, but by and large, Jeskai and Is it are very similar decks. We saw like sixteen Merktide decks then. Just quite a few. I think that's what, in my mind, that's kind of what that means, which is interesting because for a while it felt like Merktide was pretty gone. And now in a wide field event like this, it's, you know, that's what is that? That's 12, 13% of the meta. 136 people, 16 people brought Merktide. Well, they had a really good weekend last weekend, and you can see the confidence boost oh, yeah. here kick in. So this uh, Doom Switch and and a small group of players were sort of trying to rework um, the, the sort of weaknesses of the deck or whatever, and the big switch was uh, Consider or Thought Scour. Um, as you guys did your, your due diligence last week, it was about a 50-50 split. I haven't looked at the top 32 of this one yet, but I wouldn't be surprised to see slightly more people on Consider um, yeah. because that seemed to be like a big development uh, that maybe last weekend, even though they had a good weekend, not everyone was up to speed on it yet. Or maybe we see that Thought Scour did, did have some staying power. I'm not sure mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. We'll see. Stan might have some notes on that later. Uh, mm-hmm. Black, White, Hammer, do we have any thoughts on Hammer at this point? I mean, the most interesting thing we've seen with Hammer is that it started running Dark Confidant a lot more in the two-drop sl- slot for some card advantage, extra card advantage, I guess we should say. And um, yeah, that's still, that deck is still kicking it. I guess we'll see how well it converted to the 32 in the top eight. But Main deck Thoughtseize is more common now as well. And I think the biggest reason for that is the Force Color Sky Needle deck was such a nightmare for them. Um, they basically had to know if they were going to have to play into a Fury or a Solitude or an Ephemerated, one of the two. It was just so devastating if they took the wrong line that it became almost necessary that they would have the Thoughtseize uh, in the main. It was basically pre-boarding for the metagame. Like they were probably boarding into two to four Thoughtseizes anyway. Right. And there were a wide enough number of decks that were sort of taking advantage of Hammer's vulnerabilities. That makes sense. All right, next up on the list really is Blue-White Control. Still holding in strong, even though some of these other four-color decks are popping towards the top of the list. Uh, you know, the more Omnath control type of decks instead of Blue-White Control. But, you know, this is still, you know, 8% of the metagame or so is Blue-White Control. Um, in the same bucket as the Jeskai Merktide with six entries was Amulet Titan. So out of the 132, that that's interesting that we fall pretty quickly to six being the next line item we have here for decks. That feels like a pretty spread out metagame to me right now. But yeah, Amulet Titan moving back towards the top of the top of the meta. Yeah, again, it feels like a confidence boost. Like the players were there. Um, these these will all be seasoned Amulet Titan players for the most part. And they were just waiting for someone to give them the the, the go that uh, oh wait Amulet Titan isn't actually dead go figure yeah what 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 is Amulet Titan hoping to overpower like the four color like Sky Noodle type stuff and or blue white control or like what are they hoping to to win win through and take advantage of in this meta game do you think Zach well what I always heard was that the biggest pro- problem deck for them were like Hammer Time and Blue Red Merktide. Um, like because Unholy Heat was obviously a bit of a, a bit of a beast for them. Um, they used to play exactly one Cavern of Souls, and I've seen them on everything and anything now. Um, I mean, I got swan songed by Dom Harvey post board. Uh, I saw someone get Pact of Negationed today in the challenge. Wafo Tafa get got hit by that. Um, so you know, th- th- there's time for them to trot out all of the toolbox cards that they have ever tried playing before and just see what sticks. But the core concept of amulet titan i mean it's still good enough like it it just it just is yeah part of me also thinks that 
Considering how greedy mana bases are at, at the top of the metagame right now, too, that helps Amulet Titan because they don't necessarily have to wade through a ton of land hate right now. Uh, part of me even thinks that maybe that's kind of like on the horizon as the metagame starts to shift just because mana is so greedy. And if no one's playing Blood Moon's main, then Amulet Titan doesn't really have like this big red flag to worry about. All right. Next up, with five players each, is Grixis Shadow and Teamer Footfalls. It looks like we had, as far as the footfalls goes, I don't see a bunch of uh, your Urinos decks down here lower on the list as well. So Grixis Shadow is having a little bit of a moment right now, too. Why don't we start talking about that for a minute? I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about decks that I would feel comfortable sleeving up right now, and Shadow is probably on my list just because of my past experience with it as far as the metagame goes but wh- why is shadow coming back do you think well just because Corey won with it <laughs> i imagine <laughs> so we were like oh yeah like i guess i should try this again but i mean i think it's 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 a perfectly fine deck and uh dress down's a perfectly interesting card with a lot of flexibility especially in you know this i think this metagame is a lot of things it can shut down so why not give it a shot yeah i think dress down in particular is is kind of a big big upgrade for shadow and people are being reminded of that perhaps in part because of Corey's win i was playing with grix shadow this week a little bit and the amount of times that i got to play dress down defensively as a way to like clear a board of constructs or shut down a solitude or whatever the elementals decks are doing was really powerful and then if you can just play it dress down that replaces itself and actually buys you a turn in the process sometimes you can line yourself up where you swing with a four four shadow or something and the coast seems like it's clear, and then you can also dress down for the kill. So being able to play this like really modular spell that protects you and also gets you the kill, I think is something that can support this type of you know mid-range aggressive archetype. Totally forgot that that Corey's win was this week. I feel like that was like twelve days ago for some, like two weeks ago <laughs> for some reason. All right, and then Teamer Footfalls still popular, still good. People people are still having success with it. I know that um, Doomwake's been working back down to sixty card versions is what he's been sharing on Twitter a lot lately. So, but I think that he's sort of um, backtracked on that and said that the Urian version is stronger. Um, certainly for my money, uh, I, I played against the 60-card version of Rhino, and it basically seemed to be them uh, going back to playing four-color Rhinos, which was done before with Teferi, and this doesn't really feel like... Now it's just got Omnath, and it's not playing Solitude, and it just isn't doing anything better than... T- like, the reason that Team of Rhinos became the better one was it's just, like, playing Teferi in your Rhinos deck just didn't end up being worth it, and having a more stable mana base that could play Blood Moon in the sideboard was... So I don't expect to see four-color Urianless rhinos stick, but who knows? Some people are stubborn. But I think your rhinos is is a, is a stronger, more viable, more you know relevant deck. But maybe only because it was running against Sky Noodle. We'll see. Yep. Speaking of Sky Noodle, four-color Ephemerate is in our next bracket with four players bringing it, along with Living End and Burn with the four players deck. So getting towards the tail end of the meta that we're kind of tracking here, um, you know. Living Ant had a little bit of a breather over the last couple of weeks, and now in the broader meta game, there's still a good number of people bringing it. I'm a little surprised that there's only four people on the Ephemerate decks, but honestly, there's a pretty hard cap on that deck on Magic Online right now, <laughs> which might be part of what's going on with some of these deck selections as well, because now that uh, Solitude has gotten super expensive and you know the deck is, I think, 1,800 tickets or 1,500 tickets or something crazy like that. Like It's out well outside of even the top-tier mana... Uh, 
get mana trader subscriptions so we'll see and then burn you know there's been a bunch of people in our discord who've been playing burn lately and i think having reasonable success with it so i think it's still good you know it's in the same way that amulet titan you know comes back people get some confidence in it and they feel like they can get their old deck back out or once we see how the metagame shakes out they know what little tweaks to make to it and burn's been around for the last this whole cycle and yeah seems to still be there and then our three drops Yogmoth, we had three more hammer decks here, so that brings the total number of hammer up to 13. Jun Saga at three. Blue Moon, uh, which I'm going to assume is Murktide, but like the bigger controlly versions, or are these ones that aren't even running Murktide? Not necessarily. Okay. Like, Timu is playing Kiki Jiki. What? For real? <laughs> Timu is playing Kiki Jiki. Timu does whatever he wants. He, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's playing two <laughs> Kiki Jikis, like two Deceiver Exarchs, and one Pestermite. Like, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a that's not an exact quote of his list, but like that's the kind of stuff that he does all the time. Yeah, yeah. get people out of nowhere. <laughs> and then we have Tron, Belcher, and Esper Reanimator rounding out that kind of last last group. Mm-hmm. Awesome decks. I mean, these are all established things. You know, it's interesting when you look at this whole list of things, especially with the way that we've been talking about the metagame lately on on the show. Like, there's nothing that's too much of a surprise here down through these top, you know, fifteen decks that are here. Um, but the next tier, two people ran four color creativity, including you, Zach. That was me. That's yeah. what I do. Who's the other person <laughs> that ran it? That was Ting Feng Wan, who, okay. uh, if you, if you check my stream decker, uh, it's my, my current deck list is nicknamed, uh, tweak Feng Wan because I ah. took his deck list and then I tweaked it. Um, awesome. My own. Oh, that's like, how that worked. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very in depth. It's, it's complicated. <laughs> I had to explain it. <laughs> Nomenclature is important. Brand yeah, is important, yeah. you know. Yeah, ab- oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Stan, do you want to take us through the top 32, how things converted, what, ha- what went yeah, from there? Yeah, yeah. Th- thanks for taking us through the field. In terms of the top 32, the most popular deck only had three pilots, and that was Amulet Titan. Put up the most results, including the, the eighth place finisher. Wow. A lot of twos, though. So Living End is there, Grixis Shadow, Blue Eye Control, Four Color Omnath, Hammer, Ephemerate, Yogmoth and Murktide. Those are our two furs. And then everything else was a one. We had a big other category among the top 32, including the Kiki Jiki deck I mentioned. Merfolk made it into the top 32. Affinity made it in top 32. We had a, a Grief Blade, an Orzhov Grief Blade deck in there. And uh, only one Jun Saga deck made it to finish six two or better. I do think it's worth noting. Hammer, Blue White, and Murktide all had huge drops. Yeah, I was going to say that's a lot of drop offs since they all only hit the the two of two of each. Mm-hmm. Um, that's big. Yeah, this is what this is the kind of information that I think comes out when you're able to look at conversion rates and able to actually say like when we look at these top thirty twos all the time and there's you know one hundred two hundred people sometimes in these challenges and we honestly have no idea what the percentage of decks they were in the field and so we we see something like you know three or four or five like hammer decks or something like that we're like oh my gosh it's so many but we see the there literally could be 15 plus like hammer decks or 15 plus murktide decks uh starting off in like a field of 130 and so it's a little bit less impressive when you're just like yeah you throw enough darts you're gonna hit the bullseye a few times yeah yeah another big drop off footfalls no copies in the top 32 just could not convert. Um, and then likewise, half the amulet players technically went six, two or better. We went from six to three 
in terms of the overall field into the the top 32. So maybe it was a good day to bring Big Green Giants. I think maybe there's also another point here in that you guys last week uh, referred to modern as a skill format and that it really heavily rewards people who are on the same deck, who have been on the same deck, who stick with the same deck, who have, you know, the reps both in the current metagame and on a deck long term. Um, A lot of these decks are newer. I don't know if it necessarily means they have less room for that, but I will say like Anytime someone says something a bit reductionist about Hammer Time, like, oh, Hammer Time's easy, you know, Team of Footballs is easy, any of these decks are easy, they're they're just not. Like, once you actually get out there and start playing the games, they're just not. And um, that that level of skill that you can leverage, the the level of preparedness you can have for the metagame, the consistency with your sideboarding, all of these things add up really, really fast to uh, people who are able to, like, consistently X2 and those who are not. Um, These new decks newer decks that are popular have a lot of representation may be an easy draw for people who are less experienced at playing these high level tournaments because they know that the deck is good so they choose it and they will you know eventually develop that level of skill whereas the long term time players of of decks you know that they they get to put themselves out there and we see a lot of the same names all the time yeah totally true i mean the the challenges are always filled with like the regulars right and and you know it's so weird to be able to walk into a tournament that's, you know, kind of like a medium-sized PTQ-sized field, right, in, in paper, and it's filled with world champions. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play against Canister and Spike and you and, like, Javier you know, Dominguez. Yeah, Javier Dominguez and Gabe Nassif is going to be there, like, Hall of Famers. So Guillaume Wafotapa. Like. It, it, it is, the like, these are some of the hardest tournaments. The, the one thing I was going to say about the skill format thing that I think people, you know, it's one of the great things about modern. I think once you get into it is just, you know, we have some people that are newer in the Slack who have joined, which is great. Are in the discord, which is great. Cause they're kind of, they're newer to modern and talking, sharing their games and sharing their experiences and kind of being like, wow, there are just decks that kill us on, kill me on turn three or kill me on turn four. And it's like most of the field is, is that. And so the, the beauty I think of modern and the skill of modern, you know, is that that understanding of the meta and how someone's going to kill you on turn four. And then what's going to happen when you keep them from killing you on turn four and what you can do when someone stops your turn four kill too, like all those kind of things. And I think that that's like the part of it. That's really skill intensive is that the edges are so tiny and the decisions are so it, you know, the, like fetching the wrong land or fetching at the wrong time is the thing that kills you, you know? So that's the thing that I think is really fun about modern and, and uh, what I would encourage people who are a little bit newer to the format to kind of hang in there to get that next level understanding. Cause that's where I think the whole thing really opens up to you and you go like, okay, I get it now. And, you know, in some ways that's when magic becomes a bigger game than just like, I'm going to play my cards and in the order doesn't matter or the thinking doesn't matter. Like, I still prefer to play that way. Yeah. Well, we know. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, how many How many wins do you have? They, they say step one is have a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and mine is cast my cards. LSV. <laughs> I do have these full art Ragavans, so I'm probably going to be winning a lot, right? Did you? Did you? Cl- yeah, I, saw, win. I saw you on Facebook looking for a, a matching set. Did you finish up your set? Did somebody help you out? I did. Someone helped me out. Oh, probably for like sixty sixty dollars or something like that. The usual stand deal. Well, no. What I tried to do was trade two regular Ragavans for two full art Ragavans, and someone did that. Where I only had to pay the difference in market price. Ah, oh, perfect. That's nice. There you go. I, I feel like Ragavans on the downswing, though. They might be uh, getting you good on that one. Shut up. 
<laughs> the art is nicer though. I do that, I do like the art better. The art is oh, so much better. It's so much better. Yeah. All right. Eighth place. Nade. Amulet Titan. Fairly stock, but here it is. We've talked about it. Let's move on. Seventh place, Khaled Zero on Jeskai Control featuring Kahira. The only red cards are two copies of Fire Ice. No wear and tear. Interesting. Practically otherwise identical to a blue-white control deck. Okay. Um, there was... Uh, hey Pharaoh was the one, I think, who recently popularized the, the Fire Ice build. And at the face-to-face open, there were uh, multiple successful pilots that either top 16 or top 8 playing that exact setup. So something about that in particular, the blue-white players really, really like. Do you think you can pinpoint what it might be? Like, is it the fire side or is it just tapping down someone's land? I, you know what? I honestly, I, I, I will tell you from as someone who's currently playing a full set of Fire Ice that fire helps uh, immensely against uh, Yogmoth, against Hammer Time, um, and it can even help you in the Cascade matchups sometimes in the early game where you're you're not really set up to counter on turn two, but you can at mm-hmm. least maybe ice down a land so they don't get to Cascade on. Um, right. That little bit sometimes matters a lot. Uh, Fire Ice is an incredibly flexible card, so it's really mm-hmm. hard to nail down exactly what these guys want out of it. I haven't been playing those decks like huge number of reps, but I assume that some of these reasons against some of these matchups are the problems they've been running into. It is a card having a moment right now, though, that's for sure. Sixth place, Twinless Twin, Grixis Shadow featuring Luris. This one, kind of stock. It looks almost identical to Cory Baumeister's deck that won the Invitational at SCG Con. You know, we were talking about Dress Down earlier. After playing this version of the deck, I almost feel like Teamer Battle Rage will just never see modern play again because of how effective Dress Down is at replacing what that card did while also doing a whole slew of other stuff against you know, potential opponents. Yeah. I mean, the reason that you played TBR was because you had to have the implied threat of a trump card, right? Like I'm going to, I and an I win combo mm-hmm. and dress down gives you enough of that. Like you said, and has better utility and also draws a card. If you have to do that, it's also recyclable with Luris and da, 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 da. So, um, you know, yeah, I do think the biggest problem will probably be how popular solitudes are, mm-hmm. you know, as long as there's four color ephemerates, elementals decks um and i think you know like whether or not your rhinos remains popular but if people are playing more and more solitudes that's just such a good trump to whatever grixis shadow wants to do any shadow deck really that i can kind of see a little bit of an ebb and flow between those two forces i don't know Corey b is on record is saying that with with uh, his game plan on it and sideboarding plan and and that he's he has a very good record against the deck against control decks with solitude. Yeah. So maybe it's just a matter of, you know, maneuvering yourself into a way where you can always have dress down for protection or, you know, counter spells or anything like that. And I think that, uh, you know, it just, it goes back to good players know how to win matchups, especially if they come in understanding their game plan and their opponent's game plan. Good players. I hope to be one one day. Speaking of a good player, in fifth place, Aspiring Spike on Black Red, Darcy, mid-range featuring Luris. Two Douthy Voidwalkers main with three main deck Turok. I saw him tweeting about Whoa, it, saying that, that Turok was doing a lot of work for him this day. Because I guess it, it's good against Hammer, good against Solitude, because of Pro White. Yep. Mm-hmm. And also had three Den of the Bugbear among the lands. Um, this was another deck that I would, when, you know, we were talking, we were talking in Slack about decks that I would choose. I was thinking about myself plus mid range, you know, a moment ago I said Grixis Shadow would be good. And I was kind of like, I wonder if Black Red will ever come back. And then 
Aspiring Spike thought it was time to bring it out too. So I, I loved this deck over the summer. I'm glad to see it back. I hope it's somewhat viable because I, I think this is a good version of these mid-range decks too, especially if Jund is getting a little too tricky or too um, greedy to be good at the moment. Zach, did you play against Ivert by any chance? I did. Uh, I think it was in round uh, eight. It was right before the, the top cut. Uh, I was a 6-1. He was a 7-0. Who won? Uh, I did. In spectacular fashion, because <laughs> I was incredibly lucky. Um, both yeah. games, he had me at a point where he had Thoughtseize or Inquisitioned my hand. I had no indomitable creativity. And both games, I top decked one and put him in a position where he could never ever win. And he scooped no. very quickly. It was like a 10 minute match, which was one not at all by skill. Uh, Spike's an amazing player. He navigated the game very well. And despite all the people screaming at me to do so in Twitch chat, I did not jam an indomitable creativity into his obvious Coligan's command, which he then played. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, the only reason I even ask is because when you were on for the bonus, you said that was one of your worst matchups as a creativity it, it player. It is. And in the top eight, I played against Grixis Lurus, which is also a terrible matchup. I should not have won either of those. So I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Fourth place, Coco Lopez on Blue-White Control featuring Kahira. I do want to point out, though, Although this deck list is quite stock, if you're familiar with what Blue Eye Control looks like these days, in addition to the one of Rogren Triome that a lot of these Azores decks are running to make their prismatic endings a little better, this copy also had a breeding pool, raising the potential you know, ceiling of your prismatic endings to four colors. Okay. Should you want to maybe remove a Jace or an Omnath. Right. Or something else that's big. I likely think that was for Omnath more than anything else as far as things that are floating around in modern right now, right? Give you give you an out to Omnath if you in case you need it, if you don't have yeah. your own solitudes around. Yogmoth, maybe. Yeah, Yogmoth too. Yeah, there's only so many four drops, but um yeah, that's that's interesting to see. Third place. Heir of Elendil fifteen on Grixis Darcy featuring Luris. Is that what we call this deck now? Are we just repeating what, what Bamzing said? Uh, you know, I think you could do worse than repeat what Bamsing said. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, we we steal his information, so might as well use his nomenclature. Bamsing is the shoulders on which all modern podcasts <laughs> rest on right now. Yeah. <laughs> any, any modern podcast he records on Sunday night. So I know Dominaria's judgment is <laughs> <Yes>. also, <laughs> we owe a lot <laughs> to Bamsing. So this is, well, again, one of those decks that's just, it's just black red. I mean, it's just a black red base with with a little bit of blue snapcaster kind of stuff so it's like the grick the, just the grixis version of that mid-rangey deck i find these a lot harder to play personally but maybe i'm just at a point in my life where i can't like double you know level level ahead on people with the blue cards at this point so i i prefer the simpler black red ones kind of uh and jund at this point but i i have seen this deck you know it's nice to see this deck kind of come and go but um you know mid-range contingent of this top eight is pretty strong actually yeah yeah so this deck is like grixis shadow minus shadows and i wonder if that's also a, a hedge against solitude which you know Corey might know how to play against solitude but i think that's a pretty scary card for a shadow pilot and this just doesn't have to worry about life total quite as much or at least you know about managing that life total to have threats all right second place bellfly living end looked fairly stock to me though i did notice this time this player had a couple main deck copies of Foundation Breaker, which seems like this really cool tech against Chalice of the Void or, or uh, I don't know, Ensnaring Bridge. <laughs> Just having like this out to, uh, to the artifacts that can actually hate out the living in the combo seems well, cool. Well, 
I would say one really important thing here is that Belfi, I think, has done well with this deck before, but this is not the living in that you normally think of. This is not living in with black. I mean, it is playing black because it's playing living in, but this is the teamer living in build, mm-hmm. um, which has been successful a couple of different times. It was playing like three or four main deck endurance, um, like Deadshot Minotaur instead of Architects of Thought. Um, it, it's got a bunch of very different choices. And the idea being that it's like less of a combo deck uh, like Living End is normally, the, the Black Living End deck with Grief, and slightly more of a deck that can just play Bonecrusher Giant, um, Brazen Borrower, and like it, it's got a lot more reasonable casting costs, a lot more threes, fours, and fives than the the sixes and sevens that you see in the in the grief version. It's also not two for one itself on griefs in the hope that their living end can punch through right afterwards. Um, so and it's got subtlety and fury as well in addition. So it's got a it's got eight of the pitch elementals, two fury, two subtlety. So it has some more interaction than these decks kind of have as a result of that. And, you know, you get your elementals after evoking them in the graveyard, you get your foundation breaker in the graveyard. So that stuff comes back if you need it to, too, which I think is, is cool. Yeah. This, this is an interesting version of this. Yeah. And it, it, it's done well before and it is never caught on in popularity. I think it's because it's a lot more difficult to, um, sort of figure out and pilot than the, the more linear living in. But I think the thing that's interesting about this is that it sort of looks like a Rhino's deck. Like, it sort right. of looks like a Crashing Footfalls, but it's They're just Living End instead. Man. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So that was the thing that I always thought was interesting about the difference between Living End and the, the original Footfalls decks, is that there's a lot more play in the Footfalls decks. And so now, here's a version of Living End that does the same thing if you, if you want it. If you want to play Living End and be interactive and have a different kind of game, you got it. That's cool. All right. The moment we've all been waiting for the first place winner and deck mana symbol aka zach ryle aka he's our the guest, guest of the talk he's a guest right yeah. <laughs> you know him zach you've been here <laughs> i know me <laughs> four color creativity first of all mazel tov you won gracias <laughs> um so here's your chance albeit briefly to not be humble how amazing do you feel um yesterday I'd... you seem pretty you seem pretty amped yeah yesterday i just felt numb um, to be perfectly honest, which was better than the last time I got like a several hundred person raid when I was in top eight and immediately died. Um, <laughs> yeah. What does one do immediately after winning the modern challenge? What I did was I remembered that I had a tiny bottle of champagne in my fridge. I grabbed that one out and got myself a, a, <laughs> a, a coupe glass, old fashioned, old school. Nice. Uh, if you ever see a picture of someone drinking champagne in the 1920s, you can have your little coupe glass right. and uh, poured that out uh, on stream a little bit. Um, played one more match of the league that I had queued up already um, <laughs> God, you while drinking champagne. Into it. And then I went for a five mile run because I hadn't gotten any exercise all day and I was feeling lethargic. That's yeah. the most adorable oh. thing I've ever heard. I got to be honest. You had the Seriously? right size champagne to just be like, "All right, this is a me moment." I'm doing <laughs> this. That's like a that's like a an ad. That's like a television ad. It's so perfect. <laughs> when you're in the mood to celebrate, but there's only one of you. <laughs> it's time for tots. <laughs> I will say because you're here, I'm really eager to just kind of hear what this tournament was like for you. What, what was your record in the Swiss? What, what was that like? Seven uh, one. So. For those who are fans of my channel, etc., I love streaming challenges, but Saturday has become very crowded uh, in the streaming yeah. challenge world. Sure uh, has. Doomwake Spike 
uh, Yellow Hat and Canister and Demonic Tutors are all regularly streaming their Saturday challenges. Um, so what I told my my fans and, and people who, who care about my content is like, listen, I'm pushing for this partner thing on Twitch. I need good average numbers. And if I spend five hours streaming a challenge to 20 people, it just it's just not good for me right now. Uh, um, yeah, it yeah, sucks because yeah. I want to share it with them all. I really, really, really do. And someday maybe I'll be able to do it all the time as I did uh, previously. Um, however, I can go back through the the leagues and the replays and, and do it that way. So I think yeah. about at 5-0 was where I was, 4 or 5-0 when I went live. Um, so uh, I do have a tournament report that I'm working on that should be out uh, by the time this podcast uh, goes out. Um, but I, I did abbreviate it in in the tweet, uh, one of my tweets. So uh, I played against uh, Yogmoth and Four Color Rhinos. Um, I played against Belfi, and I played. Oh, there would have been two more matches uh, off off stream. Um, you, you played against Spike. I did. Well, that, that was that one, that one was on stream. There we go. Okay, so <laughs> round one Yogmoth, round two Four Color Rhinos with no Urian. Round three was, oh, Spider Space on uh, Oswald Death and Taxes with Urian. 80 card mm. Oswald Death and Taxes. A, a list that <laughs> I inspired him to make because he was watching me play a Oswald Urian deck on stream. Um, uh, Belfi on Living End was round four. Round five was uh, one Titan player. Around six was another Titan player. One of them was Leviathan 102. Um Blue-white control was the seventh round. This was my only loss of the entire day uh, was to top eightist uh, on on blue-white control, uh, Coco Lopez. Uh, blue-white control is normally a very good matchup for this deck. I was surprised that they just bulldozed me 2-0, but, you know, sometimes sometimes it goes to, just goes that way. And um, then I was at 6-1, and I got queued against Spike. And even though I knew, quote-unquote, that I was locked for top eight, that was a very... Hmm. uncomfortable experience but since i too ho- i too owed him in spectacular fashion because it just felt like my deck just didn't want to lose it was like listen whatever you need to draw to beat this guy that's going to be your next card and then that's what happened and wow. yeah and at that point you know I-, I was just riding that high and uh just launched through the the top eight um where i had a uh a, it might have been a rematch against titan or maybe i played all three of the titan players then the terrifying run-in with Grixis Luris, where I think when they led on game one and I kind of figured out that they were on Grixis Luris, I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm never going to win. Hooray. Um, but somehow I did. And then the rematch against Living End, where I felt like I had been very lucky to win the first time, and I think I got very lucky to win the second time. But <laughs> we got That's there. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was intense. It was very intense. Yeah. A lot of challenging matchups, a lot of great players. It, it does sound like, you know, you ran somewhat hot were there any specific challenges you had to overcome that you know with the exception of the spike matchup that you felt like maybe you had to win from behind or do something really stellar just to get ahead i mean i'll I'll have a screenshot of it uh i think i already have a screenshot of it the very first round i won the end of the game they were at one life i was at five and they were able to hit me for four on the battlefield um, like, so they had like a, a grist tick down, um, with the minus five ability that was going to deal six to me that took me from like 11 to five. And then what they had on the battlefield could only put me to one. And I ended up killing them on the crackback. Um, I mean, it, just the whole day there was, there was a lot of, a lot of close calls. Um, I mean, in the quarterfinals, it's on stream that the amulet Titan player went something like turn one amulet, turn two amulet, amulet, explore, explore, explore. 
No Titan Pass. No. They had eight. I think they had 18 potential mana. Like, we were counting it up on stream. I'm like, I think they have 18 mana. And they played three Explorers, and then they didn't find anything past the turn back with three Amulets in play. They're like, we're going to draw into something here. I know it. (laughs) And then, nope. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't fault them for that keep. Um, so, I mean, there were places where I was lucky. There was places where I played, you know, tight. Um, Indomitable Creativity is a very interesting card to play um, because you can not only target your own stuff, but you can target your opponent's stuff. One of the match, the match win against Titan um, in round six, I believe, came down to a moment where I had to Creativity, my two creatures and their Titan. And if they flipped into another Titan, I would lose. However, I hedged that between the Azusas, Dryad Elysian and Groves, uh, Arboreal Grazer. Dryad also would have been bad, too, because I'm not sure if they had a Valakut in their hand at that point or not, whatever. Um, that, that Between all the other creatures they could flip into, I would probably be okay, and then I needed to make that choice. And then I forgot that they're a Saga deck, so they flipped into a Pithing Needle, and I won. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't even realize that about creativity. So, how... I mean, I we I, we have not talked about this deck yeah, very much so the in the past. X, yeah, X red 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 sorcery. Um, you destroy X target creatures or artifacts, and the controllers of those cards flip through their own deck until they hit that many artifacts and or creatures and put them into play. So artifacts or creatures go in, and artifact or creature comes out. That's uh, wild. It doesn't, yeah, and it's, how often it's yeah. I was going to say, how often do you use it in a, in a offensive way? Because, like, I'm much more used to when I played against this on, um, you know, Magic Online, or on uh, Arena, where people are really, like, holding it tight as, like, a combo piece that they were trying to, to go into something. I uh, Do you feel like you have to kill something? I mean, because it's, it's powerful in that sense to be like, I'm going to fire off my combo and kill your kill your Titan is big. I do it all the time. Okay. Uh, common targets are Murktide Regent, mm-hmm. um, sometimes an Ensnaring Bridge, against Etron, maybe. You you can kill anything, uh, any creature, any artifact, which is one of the things that makes this deck so good, in my opinion, or makes it good at what it does, is despite the fact that there's a combo kill, most things that people list that they want to try to bring in to, t- to get you just do, do not work um, because of all the cards that just go into this list to make it work. I mean, you've got Prismatic Ending, Prismari Command, and the creativity itself, and Teferi that just solve almost anything in combination. Yeah. It's interesting too, to see this kind of like the payoffs are the, you know, Sarah's emissary is in here as well. And it's kind of like, it's, it's just an interesting different take on like a f- reanimator almost like it feels like it's sort of like a reanimator mm-hmm. shell, but you're doing it is. different, different spells and different cards and different payoffs. But yeah. Well, every time I try to play Reanimator instead of this deck, I <laughs> yeah. my graveyard being attacked. And the right? thing about this deck is it's very difficult to attack what you're doing. Grafdigger's yeah. Cage doesn't work because for some reason Indomitable Creativity puts the cards into exile and then onto the battlefield. So <laughs> uh, Grafdigger's Cage just doesn't work because of that. Yeah. Um, Draineth Magistrate, a Hammer Time player, brought that in against me the other or today. And I don't know why they did that. Um, that doesn't work against anything. So... Yeah, it's it's good at what it does, and it's very hard to attack. With the downside being that it's you know a little less powerful, a little more clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, you you play it like a slow tap out control kind of deck. So this new four color Omnath is kind of like the combo free version of this deck, if if that's any kind of comparison. So mm-hmm. did yeah. you did I see you tweeting about this the other day that this was that someone talked to you about this being like Splinter Twin? 
Uh, yeah, so I mean, yeah. I talked about this with Shane on the on the on the episode that I did with him. Oh right, that's right. At, at yeah. some point, someone mentioned they're like, you know, you're describing this deck as a lot like Splinter Twin, except the shell for it instead of being a I want to say the word tempo deck mm-hmm. uh, is a like a tap out control deck with Ren and Six to Fairy uh, now Jace the Mind Sculptor Nahiri and a bunch of cards that sort of either remove hard to remove card types, uh, protect you, or there's even like two for ones in the, in the form of fire ice or prismari command. Definitely. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about kind of like decks that don't have it against you. The decks that you fear the most, you said that you fear kind of like red, black core decks. Why, why is that? Is that because of Coligan's command or is that because of some other uh, and discard or some other things? Yeah. I mean, particularly Coligan's command, but I would say like, um, it's, it's the, the black, red Luris core decks, Mardu, Grixis and black, red, like just the black red and then like blue red Merc tide. And the biggest two dangers about those decks is that they have lots of cheap interaction, like very plentiful and they can put together a pretty quick clock while still interacting with you. And that's the hardest part. And the black red ones, especially Grixis are the worst because they interact on the stack. They look at your hand and make sure exactly what's coming. So they could play around you perfectly in theory. And they put a clock into play that usually costs one to two mana and, you know, consistently generates them some kind of value. Um, with the upside being that sometimes, as in the, the the top four match, you get to cast something like Fire on them on turn two and blow up their uh, monkey and the Dragon's Rage Chandler that hasn't yeah. flipped yet. Totally. Yeah. So you have the tools to beat them. It's just, like, very stressful. And they are more than the best setup. Whereas, on the flip side, one of the easiest possible matchups out of all the top-tier decks is Hammer Time. This deck has an amazing Hammer Time matchup. I think yeah. in competitive, like, challenge-level play... I have something like a 13 and 2 record against Hammer Time. Fire and Ice is big there. Prismari Fire Command, Ice, I'm sure, is Prismari big there. Prismari Command, Prismatic Ending. It, it, and all, and in most cases, you can board wipe them so that like every turn they're only playing like one or two creatures and you kill both every turn. Right. Or you just get to a point where you're just like, I'll just hold up interaction. Your creature doesn't bother me. And if it has a hammer, then I will kill it. Right. Yeah, and you can even actually kill Hammer with creativity, as we just talked about, if you need to for some reason. So. Sure can. think it might have been my match against Will Kruger in the sh- the the challenge that was like a one of, one of the, the PTQs. Mm-hmm. But there was one time where I played creativity for like, I think it was four, and two of it was on my creatures and two of it was on some of their things. And I think I was killing a, a pure steel paladin and a cranial plating. Because wow. they could move the cranial plating, so I had to kill it instead of the creature it was attached to. Right. Um, and then they flipped into some other stuff. And it was funny because people were like, what if they have a second cranial plating? I'm like, well, then they'll get me. I yeah, will be very dead if they is. have a second cranial plating. But nobody yeah. plays a second cranial plating, not even Crusher Bot. Yeah. So big picture here. So this is, this is you know, it's an awesome, awesome achievement. Do you, what do you think you've learned in this particular run like i know you've you've made top eights before i think i remember right right and like like we said you had some recent paper success as well like what do you think getting to the end what do you think you learned about you know modern or learned about kind of what it takes to get to the end of an event like this like what are, what are your thoughts on that i've heard it said in a lot of different ways anyone who's sort of studied being a performance professional or, or a high level performance in general the way I was dealing with the whole end of it was every single match I was like, 
It's probably over after this one, but I'm going to just play this match that's in front of me. I was never thinking about how much further in the tournament I was going to go. That just doesn't didn't matter at all. Um, and knowing that I'd been doing it long enough that even when uh, Spike lost out and he sent me this raid of like 1,500 people, whatever it was, and they were all watching me, I don't feel like I, I felt particularly different at that point um, because I had just gotten to that state of mind on that day. And it's not always easy to do. But where, where it's like the only thing that mattered was the match in front of me. Um, maybe it was the four or five hours I was playing with uh, like before I started up the stream that, that prepared me well for that. I'm not sure. You know, it'll be hard to recapture the magic. But I definitely know the feeling was like just just very focused. And even people who have been in my channel for a long time, they were like, hey, that, that, that the version of Zach who was on yesterday was like that. Was that the real you? And like Mana Symbol is <laughs> just a persona. Because usually you're a lot more goofy, and yesterday yeah. you were shockingly focused. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but uh, I'll, I'll try to recapture it with some of that. Because I know in my first top eight and other top eights, I've been a lot more nervous and a lot more, you know, whatever. And this time it was just like, now nah, we're in it. Let's go. Yeah. Well, you're a musician, right? I mean, obviously, yes. Man of Symbol. Yeah, and it, like you've performed like professionally, and so sure. that's a, that's a state you get to when you like. Absolutely. You know, you, when you know your music, you know, when you know the chart and you're like, okay, this is how the yeah. performance is yeah. going to go. And like, you're in the moment, you're really just like living it. The more you do it, you get to the point where it's like, well, even if you don't know the chart, you're so comfortable with the rest of the process that you can put all your remaining energy on the, the only things that you do need to care about. Right. So if it's like an unfamiliar piece of music or someone in the band is sick or someone in the audience is being really rowdy, like you have enough headspace was, was, was the, the term that my old drum teacher would use to refer to it as like, you're not overwhelmed. You're, you're working at a totally comfortable level. And when something spikes up, that's unexpected, you have enough focus to spare on it and not, not worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I, I haven't gotten this far into an online challenge, but I have like one PTQ top eight and it was the same type of thing that happened to me when we were playing it, which is just kind of like, okay, you know, I'm five and one. Suddenly I'm actually making a run for the first time ever in my magic career. I'm just going to concentrate on what I'm doing right now and just try to stay in the moment because that's how you, you know, you just have to play and then whatever happens, happens. For sure. Try to lean on good habits. Um, one of the biggest things is knowing how to make mistakes, um, especially with Twitch chat around. It's It can be like anyone who's telling you Twitch chat is a competitive advantage has never been in that position <laughs> because they are lying bald face to you. It's yeah. like 90% of it is just noise. Um, like 8% of it is information that is just going to lead you wrong because they haven't been paying enough attention or they're not, that they're not familiar with what you're actually trying to do. And the 2% that useful, like you already know that. You already know that the part that's useful. You'll be fine. And it's also on your screen for two seconds because yeah, it goes by <laughs> with all the icons and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And when you make, make, make a mistake, you just just let it go. Like, you'll just see me on the stream, especially in those moments, like, because it's not as much of a learning environment as my stream tries to normally be, where we'll talk about the mistake that I made and why it's important and the ramifications as we go through the game. No, it doesn't matter at all. Once you made the mistake, just keep going with the game. Don't get hung up on it. Don't double down onto the mistake. Like, just play as if that wasn't you or that wasn't the game you're playing. Play the game that's in front of you and keep moving forward. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like we said, you've been on a pretty interesting run for the last month or so. Like, what are you going to Vegas? Like, what's what's next? Like, oh. what are you? What do you think you're going to do next? Have you gotten your shots to travel into the United States? So I, I'm double vaxxed. I haven't heard anything yet about the booster shot, but I, I don't think it's required for international travel at this point it's honestly just about cost 
to go to Vegas would be a lot of money when you're traveling internationally. Um, I know my podcast co-host Arun Jiggy Wiggy Singh is going to be there. So if I if I suddenly Sweet. decide that I'm going to fly down, um, I could probably crash on the floor somewhere <laughs> as I am wont to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, uh, I'm not, I wasn't planning on it. Yeah, flights, uh, flights got weird too. Like flights but, got weirdly you know, expensive in the past month. I feel like for that weekend in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Even domestic travel. Maybe a lot of people booking it all of a sudden. So uh, I could go out to the face-to-face event in Montreal. I probably won't do that one. For now, I'll just be playing a a bit online and keeping my eyes on the upcoming schedule. Do you have, like, goals beyond this? You know, you've won a modern challenge. What's the next step? Is it Pro Tour? I would love to go to the Pro Tour. I'm just going to be honest with you about that. And the the, the conflict that I'm having right now is like uh, with Twitch, I'm like just on this cusp of getting partner and I'm almost entirely known for doing modern stuff. Um, Right. There's a ceiling on that and there's a lot of equity in that market taken up by people like Doomwake and Spike and and, and fantastic creators who are working hard all the time. Like people on my stream don't take me seriously when I tell them like, no, I don't think I'm the hardest working person or if I am, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm doing my best, but these other people are amazing too, and they deserve all the support that they're getting right now. Um, so for the moment with the stream, I want to hit that barrier of getting a partner, and then maybe I can start doing a little bit of arena stuff more because there's so many more opportunities to qualify for the Pro Tour that way mm-hmm. and because there's potentially a, a, a bit bigger of an audience. But I, I want to keep my focus on modern because it's what I love, but at the same time, if I want to keep doing magic in a sort of more competitive way, well, we'll see. We don't know what the state of organized play is going to look like in the future. Maybe it'll have Pioneer in it. They put together Pioneer Challenger decks or whatever yeah. those are called. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did that. Um, maybe they're planning on it coming back. I don't know. That would be cool. I don't know that much about <laughs> Pioneer anymore, but once upon a time, I love that format. So, Zach, if you, if you want to make partner, have you heard of this game called Artifact? <laughs> I, you know what? I actually bought Artifact so and I. played it for its whole six-week run. Um I'm not surprised at all that that game <laughs> failed, but it was pretty okay for about a month. It was kind of fun. Bring it back. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they were they they still on the hook for a million dollar prize pool tournament, I believe. Let's just drag them. Maybe they should just yeah. send everybody a five dollar check or something and just move on with their <laughs> yeah, life. Exactly. <clears throat> you bought this? They already Sorry, did that. They put the it. game out free. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, I can definitely say we we certainly appreciate you having a chance to talk to you and getting to know you over the last year or so since you know we've been in discord together and seeing you kind of pop up in more places and stuff has been awesome and i definitely think you're one of the most entertaining people who's doing magic content right now and all the different things that you do you know this interesting mix of like someone with a great sense of humor ability to pull off like high production stuff and also a good player is really is really cool and so it's been it's been fun to see that happen over the last couple years so you know i think that if, if you're still enjoying the ride, I hope that you just keep going as far as you, you know, you kind of want to for now and kind of see where it goes, right? That's the plan. Yeah. And where can people find you if they didn't happen to listen to the recent bonus episode? Where can they watch you stream and engage with you online? Oh, it's so easy. I've made it easy for you people. It's very important in the social media world. Everything is at Mana Symbol, M-A-N-A-C-Y-M-B-A-L, just like the instrument. Uh, If you Google that, you'll probably find my YouTube, my Twitter, and my Twitch. They are all linked together. They all have links for each other. It's very straightforward. Um, So check that stuff out. Uh, If, like, uh, uh, sort of frequent raider and friend of, uh, I don't know, everyone on 
on Twitch, uh, F Paulus. You haven't seen my um, magic music videos. Check those out. Those were a fun time. Somehow, when I was in the top eight and playing those in between rounds, he was freaking out, being like, wait, I've never seen these before. How did I never <laughs> see these before? I was like, oh, oh, bad friend, bad friend. As if I, as if I've listened to every episode of uh, everything he's been on, which I haven't. It's there's so much content out there, there's but like I much. said, yeah, like I said, you're one of the people that cuts through. So it's it's awesome. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, you guys have a lot of spoilers to talk about. Um, and uh, I wish you wish you the best with all of that. Trying to find the uh, absolute greatest uh, hits here for the next season. Uh, don't miss out on the, the creepy Valley of the Dolls house. I forget exactly what the name is. Yeah, it, that's um, what it's called. I think it's called the uh, House of Unfortunate of, Dolls or something. Yeah, the artifact something like that, that costs it, five mana. I keep looking hey, at that going. One mana to activate, though. It that's looks kind of cracked in half, dude. Yes. Like, get it in play, and it's just going to do really crazy stuff. Just read the fine print on it. The constructs are not constructs. Not quite. So read the fine print, because we didn't end our episode. (laughs) It's still good, but it's not as good as we thought it was. It's the one, it's the one five, like, four plus mana card that I'd looked at. I keep looking at the spoiler going, this is not a card for me, or really one that we would talk about that much, but I feel like there's something there for somebody more creative like you. You, you know? can Oswald fill bend into it off of Frogmite. Now you're talking. That's a way to get that well, card in play. perfection. I guess we just broke it in the breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Anyway, thanks you guys so much. Been a pleasure to see you all, and uh, keep doing what you do because I think you're gonna hit hit some serious milestones. We're working on it. We're one away from 150, and from there, who knows? The sky's the limit. Zach, always a pleasure. Hopefully, this is not the last time that you're on our show. But until then, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we are diving into our final installment of Crimson Vow spoilers. They're even more red than they were last week. (laughs) Stay with us. And we are back, guys. Who, Who was that? I don't know. It's the Canadian invasion. I mean, I'm glad that they were on and they seem like they know what they're talking about. No, uh, thanks again, Zach, Mana Symbol, uh, co-host of Serum Visions podcast, new co-host of Faithless Brewing, streamer, Twitch streamer, going for Twitch partner. If you want, I mean, look, there's a lot of streamers out there that are competing for your time. I would put Mana Symbol up there with the top tier of modern streamers right now in terms of entertainment, fun deck selection, uh, just a good community. I, I really like Mana Symbol's stream. So engage with him and uh, help him make partner. Yeah. Yeah. He provides coverage of decks that a lot of other streamers won't touch just because he's interested in what's fresh, what's different, what's being innovated on. And, you know, if you're looking for an alternative take from a really strong player, you can't you can't go wrong with the modern challenge winner. I also forgot uh, another content uh, output from Mana Symbol is his uh, the weekly videos of this week. Yeah, in this modern. week. Well, that, that's not Mana Symbol. That that's actually uh, uh, someone else. That's oh, Gene, Gene, Lanowar. Gene Lanowar. Okay, got it. Well, Gene, they look alike, but that's because all Canadians look the same. <laughs> their beady little eyes and their floppy mouths. We have a lot of cards, and that was a nice long breakdown. I appreciate it, Zach, again. But let's get through some of these. So here's what I want to talk about. I'm going to talk about something a little bit weird, okay? This is the Lee Shane card. I'm surprised that no one has really mentioned this. Gerald Visionary Stitcher. 
two and a blue. Legendary human wizard, one, four. Zombies you control have flying. Blue, tap, sacrifice another non-token creature. Create an XX blue zombie creature token where X is a sacrifice creature's toughness. Zombies are a thing. This is this is cost effective. It has good toughness. It turn it turns a board of zombies into spirits. It dodges a lot of CMC based removal. I, the activated ability is dirt cheap. It synergizes with zombie decks and what they're trying to do. It's gonna hose board stalls. I think this makes. I don't think it makes like modern zombies like some some big thing. But I think it's a very cool card. I'm surprised they didn't make it a mythic because EDH people. This is just like right into EDH zombies decks. And it's just a nice, cool rare, and I think it's cool. I think it's going to be... I'm going to see this on Arena. That's my thought about this card. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of sold. The reason why this card didn't impress me at first is because I figured this is not the thing that makes zombies a viable archetype in more high-powered formats. I I don't think, at least, because just because it is three mana, that's a, you know, it dodges bolt. I mean, you resolve this, it does not get... and it doesn't get removed, and you're just like, here's my board full of zombies flying over things and that's a big thing yeah 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 maybe this is one i don't have a comment on because i i agree with your assessment of the card it's just it's all about fit you know whether the deck is there or not but i think on rate like the card is very reasonable especially for maybe some pioneer fun or some version of historic yeah cool card for sure stan what's on your mind here's one it's a red card it costs one mana and it's called end the festivities Single red sorcery, and the festivities deals one damage to each opponent and each creature they control. This this is such a stand pick for a spoiler card. You're like this this just kills everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a one mana wrath. <laughs> I think that for one mana, for I mean, there's a lot of effects like this, right? It also hits the opponent, which I think is kind of nice. It also hits Planeswalkers, which I think is kind of nice. So it can have like a lot of weird situational value. A board full of little dinky nothings, like an historic elves. Um, or, I don't know, maybe like non-suited up Memnites and, and Modern Hammer. The fact that it can kill either of the relevant Teferis after they've ticked down is something that occurred to me just seems like maybe it's a conditional cyborg card that reminds me a little bit of lava dart in that it can sometimes get you a two for one doesn't give you two prowess triggers but maybe it just doesn't go in a prowess style deck but it's versatile because it does a couple different things and why not let's set up spectacle in the process that's the the main thing that i think is like cool about it right is like you can do this and set up spectacle but i just don't i don't know if that's like enough to like carry this over the line but like yeah it's a it's a cheap card it does something pretty novel it does something novel uh, enough for its cost so why not it's probably just like the best one mana deal one to every creature card we have because it also like dings walkers and and i don't know a point of damage to the face sometimes is the point you need to win the modern challenge I agree with that. I mean, yeah, I think this card's fine. I think it has a, a chance to be a cyborg card in certain certain builds, too. Can we talk about another single red card? Ancestral Anger to Sorcery. It costs a single red. I did not hear anybody bring this up until Odin brought it up on our Slack this morning. It's a sorcery. Target creature gains trample and plus X plus O until end of turn, where X is one plus the number of cards named Ancestral Anger in your graveyard draw card. Now, oh, okay. There's yes. the draw the card part. 
Okay. Yes. Shane, I saw your note in here that was like, Dave, why would you play this card? It's terrible. It's because it says draw a card okay. on it. I it's literally the only reason that you would play this card. But we now have three spells in in modern and uh, historic, for that matter, and pioneer, for that matter, as well, that are single red mana cantrips that you can play to do various things. Those cards being Warlord's Fury, right, which is the first strike one. Then Crash trample. Through, which is the one that gives your whole team trample, and this one that targets a creature gives that creature trample and a very small buff. Um, I think for prowess-style decks, like this is in the conversation of something that could make a shell like that work, make it uh, have more cantrips, more card velocity. It's got its pluses and minuses, right? It depends on what format you're in. I think in some cases, this might be better than Bauble in the decks that, to, that are playing bobble as part of that whole package um especially ones that aren't running luris because they're mono red for example but i I just think that this card is good enough to to do that and might add a little bit more velocity that i don't think it makes prowess better anywhere uh overall necessarily like a better meta fit than it is right now but i think this card is the right power level and these are the type of cards that you should remember because i think they're glue cards quite often just because they are cheap cantrips yeah, I remember we were moderately excited about Fists of Flame from Modern Horizons 1, which is one in a red, instant, draw a card, and then target creature gets trample and plus one, plus zero for each card you've drawn this turn. And we thought that that maybe had legs. I don't think that's particularly better than this card. And we thought Fists of Flame had potential. So, yeah, cool. This card is better than that I think, card. I, I I'm, think pretty, so. I'm pretty sure that so. it is. Yeah, just because it's a single red. So we'll see. But you knew if there was anything that might possibly make prowess something, you knew I'd want to talk about it. Checking that off the list right now. Yeah, I mean, I like that this actually plays well with Faithless faithless Looting in Historic. I think it plays well with Dragon's Rage Channeler in every format that has Channeler, right? Like... If the card does nothing for you, you can bin it, and then maybe it gives you a little extra value later on when you cast another one. I mean, the the biggest downfall of this is that it needs a target, and that's actually the secret good mode of Crash Through, is that you can cash Crash Through without a target. But I generally think that this card is 100% better than Warlord's Fury, because giving first strike to your creatures is generally like not that important. So I think that if I was thinking about these cards, I would first look at Crash Through, then I would look at this card, then I would look at Warlord's Fury in, in that order at this point, but it could be a mix depending on, on what you want, because I don't think you really care. You don't really care about... It's nice that this one gives a little bit of a power buff. Like, there's not too many spells that do that in Prowess, but I don't think you particularly care on, like, maximizing the number of these in your graveyard, things like that. Right, but that's where Faithless Looting comes in, too, right? Because you can pitch dead copies of it early if you don't have a creature. I think this is, like, the most temp- tempo version of this spell, where you might be in a deck that's a little threat light, but when you do have a threat, you kind of want it to be your win condition that you protect and suit up or, you know, make big and evasive. My only issue, or one of my issues, is just like, this deck doesn't exist anymore. You know what I mean? Well, it just to- it top eight of the challenge yeah, today. Well, you know what I mean, Dave. I mean, it's it's but there. It did. It's there. It's, it's a deck so, that's, that maybe people are just sleeping yeah. on, and maybe this is one one little part of bringing it back so i just think that this is the type of card that is of the right rate it just needs the right metagame for modern in particular but all right you mean mono mono red prowess top eight of the challenge the sunday challenge yeah that's let's talk let's talk about a card i think has modern chops and i don't think there's a ton in this set and i think this is a particularly interesting one and 
It is Blood Fountain. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this card too. Good one. Yeah, a, a black artifact, single black. When Blood Fountain enters the battlefield, create a blood token. And if you remember blood tokens from last week, they are artifacts that read artifact tokens. And then just read one, pay one mana, tap it, discard a card, sacrifice the artifact, draw a card. And Blood Fountain, so it makes a, it makes a blood token, which is an artifact. It is itself an artifact. And you can pay three and a black, tap it, sacrifice the blood fountain itself, and return up to two target creatures from the, your graveyard to your hand. The main thing is here, it's two artifacts for one mana. And that's just a really good rate in artifacts energy decks in modern. And we know there's a lot of them. It's gonna, I think it's going to have play in Urza. I think it'll probably have play in something like Asmo type decks. I think it could see play in Affinity, depending on, on how you build that. You know, your Thought Monitor Frogmite decks right now could get a boost out of this. Yeah, because what, imagine this scenario, too, where it's like the return up to two target creatures from your graveyard to your hand for three and a black seems kind of lame. And then you're just like, well, if I get two, like, Frogmites back out of the grave, something with I mean, with actual affinity for artifacts that, like, got killed or you needed to chump block with or something like that or you traded with, then you're just like, hey, I'm going to get these two spells back that I can instantly return to the grave to the battlefield because they have affinity for artifacts and my I have other things on the board right now. So perhaps it's a little bit win more because if you have some stuff, then great, but it's just another added value you can do with Blood Fountain. Take it. You know, I... I feel like we're on the lookout for cheap blood enablers, and Blood Fountain is one of them. The other card that may be worth discussing is Voldaren Epicure, which is the single red vampire. When it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each opponent and creates a blood token. So, you know, we were talking about maybe on the radio, maybe offline, the blood version of Thraben Inspector. And I think this is kind of starting to look like that. It makes an extra piece of cardboard. It pings your opponent. I feel like if there's going to be a blood card that makes it into constructed play, it's probably one of these two. Yeah, I definitely agree Maybe others, but you know, these two kind of have the best case for it. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is one that you can look to abuse a little bit more with your blinky kind of shells. Not to say that it would necessarily go in a ephemerate deck as we think of that now, but this deck more made me think of like, oh, it's a one drop that I can play in my deck that has vile and... Um, you know, like like more like taxes y kind of thinking where you're gonna play Flicker Wisp with it or something like that. But it would be okay with um with Ephemerate as well. I just don't know what that overall shell looks like. But yeah, it's another this is another one where it's a single mana card that makes two pieces of cardboard and maybe sometimes a creature is more important to you. Maybe having two artifacts is sometimes more important to you, but I think that this is a good thing. And the funny thing is I think that it doesn't really matter too much how good a blood token itself is by itself for this card to do stuff in modern just because of having of creating extra material, right? I feel that that way, particularly about Blood Fountain, where we didn't even talk about like, oh, I then you're going to be able to sacrifice the blood token because you're probably not. You're probably going to want to use it as a mock sapphire in Urza, or you're going to want to use it to power up affinity or something like that. Here, I think there's a similar angle as well uh, for some different deck, not with those same payoffs, but all right. So one card I did want to talk about, which is, I think, an interesting card. But I'm not sure exactly where it goes, though. Let's just keep with single mana spells uh, and talk about Wash Away, which is a single blue instant that says uh, that has cleave a cleave cost of a generic blue-blue. And then the full text says, counter target spell that wasn't cast from its owner's hand. That wasn't cast from its owner's hand is in brackets. 
So basically what this is, is it's a cancel if you pay the cleave cost. And in fact, that is how much cancel costs. Is that a cancel effect, Dave? It is a cancel effect and it costs the same as cancel. And then, yeah. And then this is a, a blue mana that lets you, for a single mana, counter target spell that wasn't cast from its owner's hand. So modern is a format where this happens all the time, right? Modern is a format. Yeah. Can we agree on that? We can. And it, it happens all the time. It includes flashback. It includes suspended cards, cascaded into cards, foretell. I think this is probably designed as like a foretell kind of, you know, spoiler card for standard. But there's lots of other angles where this might come up. The problem is, I, you know, there's another card in modern that's reasonably close to this called Nyx that costs a blue for an instant that says counter target spell if no mana was meant to cast it. So it's not the exact same overlap, but there's some. Uh, what do you guys think about I mean, this? I think this is a card that reads better than it is, even though I also was going to put it on the list if you didn't. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, like you said, it's, it's one of those things where I think it's too narrow an effect, but the cancel backup is really nice. That's the only thing that makes this, I think, viable at all. Is just like, but but like you said, no one's playing Nyx. Even with all of the you know, Cascade style decks out there, no one's saying, "Well, I, I, need, I should have a couple Nyx in my sideboard to to shore up those matchups." They don't think they feel like they need those. So it's like, what deck is going to run this that isn't running Nyx? And maybe it's just a a, a one of for testing or something like that, and we see what happens. But I don't know if this has what it takes, but. It's a cool option. Yeah, this card just keeps reminding me of Ceremonious Rejection, though. You know, where it's like, that was a card yeah, that we saw play. play for a long time. And then we, um, it's it's gone now because colorless decks aren't as, as big at the moment. But it feels like this might be a better use case than no mana being spent to cast it. Although there's certainly a lot of spells right now that you could use Nyx against. I mean, you could counter an elemental evoke trigger. You could, you know, other stuff. So... But I still think that the it is all about having cancel as a backup here that makes it possible to consider. I don't understand. This seems like a card that you would consider playing. Like you're someone who plays more counter spells than Shane, for example. Yeah, like how I, does this strike you? It strikes me as pretty bad. The only reason I would have thought about it is if the companion rule had never changed. You know, if 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 this did everything that you said and also tagged companions, which are the most popular card type and and magic it feels like to me then maybe we can talk but i think everything that you listed off as what this tags whether it's cascade whether it's suspend what have you we have other better cards that do that too and i would always just rather play counter spell in modern and if i wanted you know conditional counters that do a certain thing like we have force of negation we have archmage's charm we have twi- uh, i almost said twiddle storm but spell pierce well, not spell pierce, but the one with storm. Oh, flusterstorm from MH one. Flusterstorm, flusterstorm. Yep. You know what I mean. So I think this is, yeah, th- this is a card that I think needs a, a a new card type to actually be scary for this to be worthwhile. But until that happens, I just think we have better counters. Yeah. There you go. Okay, Shane. Yeah. Your turn. All right. A card that. I don't understand why no one's talking about it. Uh, and this one, I think... Another one I don't think is mo- quite modern playable, but I think it's fine on Pioneer, fine in Historic. Eruth Tormented Prophet. She is one and a red for a legendary human wizard. Two, four. If you, would, if you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library instead, you may play those cards this turn. So this essentially reads, in decks that I think would play it, if you would draw a card, draw two cards instead. 
I think a two, four for three survives a lot of removal. Uh, I think this is a cool card. I think there's plenty of ways to use this effect. Uh, I mean, just imagine this in any kind of deck with opt, any kind of deck that has any kind of cantrip whatsoever, uh, faithless looting on in historic. It's just like, you're, you are seeing a lot of cards with this and it's just a static. Like if you would draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library. Instead, you may play those cards that you can play lands. This is not a cast thing. Like a lot of those drawbacks, like this is not, this is not a, a, a lame effect. I think this is quite powerful. I think this is going to do some things, and I'm surprised that I haven't heard more people talk about this because is it mages love drawing cards and even exiling the top cards of their libraries. Here's my worry about this card, is that it reminds me a little bit of the the single the similarly casted cost card from Ikoria. Oh, okay. There's the card. Ryle the Everwise. Yeah. It reminds me of a similar thing there. Where it was kind of like that card was never quite as useful as people thought it was going to be. So, so um, the difference with Rael is that it needed you to discard a card for that to be good. Whereas every time you discarded, you drew instead. This just replaces your draw. This is like Dredge and is it? Yeah. But the problem is you only can play. I mean, the big thing is you can only play these cards for this turn. And so you better, you don't get to sandbag fine. anything. Uh, it's it's tough, right? Because what cards are, what, what is your deck that you are pretty much always happy playing the cards off the top of your deck? You're not playing counter spells sure, in that deck. Right. You know what I mean? You're not playing, it's, you know, you have to watch what you're doing. You're not playing a lot of interaction in that deck that's that's not burn. You know what I mean? Because you, you can't sandbag an unholy heat until there's a good target. You know, so it. I think there is some awkwardness there with the only till this turn. Yeah, I wonder if there's like, a combo deck that wants this where you want like a literal two card combo, something like twin or Kiki Jiki to just, you've line up these two pieces. You're drawing through your deck really, really fast until you can find them. And then you just went on the spot. That's a lot of mana for sure to have those. Well, even, yeah, right. But this also helps you get to that, to the mana too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I just see this as like a, uh, a, a, is it spells deck in historic specifically, that can use looking at two cards instead of one. And I think that's, I think it's perfectly, I think it's good. Yeah. Maybe it's in a proactive spells deck, one that doesn't run counters, but rather is like burn spells and cantrips. Yeah, exactly. And maybe you pair it with like crackling Drake or five mana Ral. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're other cards that like actually mm -hmm. care about the exiles. That's a really good point, Stan. It's like, yeah, you're filling up the exiles on fast. That's a big crackling Drake. Yeah. I like that that idea. That makes a lot of sense to me with with this possibly. Doesn't feel like modern power level with that kind of shell, but it could be, you know, Cave Dan has been having a lot of success lately with is it Phoenix no Phoenixes. He's he's playing these kind of like blue red cantrippy decks with Crackling Drake instead. And so maybe, you know, if we're thinking that way, maybe this is the type of thing that helps you go even farther, get more card selection, etc. Yeah. My favorite part about Cave Dan's deck is that he calls it is it Hotline Bling? Why? Um, he made he made the I don't know why, but that's what he calls it. He he made into the Pro Tour with that deck. Yeah, and he um, also came in second or won the Pioneer fourth? Challenge this weekend. I thought was I, it fourth? Top four. Top four. In, okay. In the Pioneer yep. Challenge. Yep. You know, I've never said this on the podcast before, but I see this Eruth, the Tormented Prophet, and I just want to make it my commander. <laughs> and I'll, I mean, I'll probably never say that again. Yeah. Stan, what's the next card you would like to talk about? How about Cradle of Safety? 
one in a blue enchantment aura flash to enchant a creature you control. When it enters the battlefield, enchantment creature gains hexproof and plus one, plus one. Is this just a shoe in for auras decks because it's both a protection spell to protect your important auras enablers, but also a buff spell? I think it costs too much and the buff isn't good enough like next turn like i think i think for two mana you want like an ethereal armor effect where it's like plus six plus six or something like that like i see what you're saying where it's like yeah you're, you're not paying for the aura chain you're paying for the protection plus a little bit of a buff but i i don't i don't know i mean i don't i think it's just maybe a little bit too much mana so I, I think that this could see play as like a one or two of in the way that I used to think about blue blue white auras anyway. Um, I kind of like this better than Karametra's Blessing, which is a card that saw a lot of play in in that deck because the only problem with with Karametra's Blessing is that that saved you from Wraths as well, you know. And this this one doesn't because it only grants hexproof. Um, but probably because this lets you draw a card if you have like your core spirit your uh spirit walker spirit dancer spirit dancer uh not my spirits just walk um the if you have that or you have uh you know you have your dwarf guy out whose name i'm totally out sram you have sram out you get to draw a card off of it that's the only thing that i'm thinking about is that since it's a payoff there you get to draw cards off of it as well and sometimes it's that better to have around so i could see trying it out in there um i just feel like it should cost like 1.5 mana i know it's not an option well i think that i think that having one in there is probably okay i mean this deck used to run you know a, an aura that gave plus one plus oh one unblockable in in the Aether deck which was, yeah which is like fine but i i'd probably rather have one of these just because it's more defensive in that particular deck um and just worry about getting flying later can i pop in with a car with a, another card here since i i do have a card that I, there is an auras theme in this this set and i think there is another card that actually kind of rates in auras and it is not an enchantment but it is called storm tracer storm chaser drake yes i was gonna put this card down and then i saw that you did yeah for the same reason i think so storm tracer drake is a single generic and a blue for a 2-1 flyer that says whenever storm chaser drake becomes the target of a spell you control draw a card i cannot believe this card costs two mana can I just say that, like, off the top? That is a lot of text, and it has evasion for two mana. If I was costing this, I would assume it would be too generic and a blue. It's like a wind drake with an extra line of text and one minus one toughness. That's pretty good for, for two mana, I think. And one of the things that I found was the most annoying about auras quite often was, I'm in a landlock, I can't... I'm drawing a ton of cards, but until I get my... Um, you know, something that get mystic flight or whatever, until I get something that gives my creature evasion, I'm not going anywhere. This card can just give invasion evasion. And so you can suit this up with all is uh, all the glitters and just power, you know, power at home by itself, which is something that was tough to do, especially with like SRAM and things like that. I can buy it. Yeah. I also wonder if this card, because it's not just about auras, if there's some other deck that wants heroic, you know, a heroic trigger draw a card uh, with a flyer. I don't think we had that in Theros block anywhere. So I don't, you know, I'm trying to think about like, is a card like this already exist? You know, the old heroic deck didn't have access to that. So I don't think there is a card in modern that does this right now or in, sorry, in historic that does this right now. And so uh, I think it could be good enough. Shane, do you have any auras cards that uh, no. we can package? <laughs> I, I don't, 
I don't. Um, I do have. I have. A, I have a spirit. I have. I have some, there's okay. some spirits I think that are okay. There's some. There's some wolves I think are okay. Uh, no, you know what? I do have an aura, but it's not for auras. Let's let's talk about curse of hospitality. Okay. Two in a red. Okay. Or a curse. Enchanted player creatures attacking enchanted player have trample. Whenever a creature deals combat damage to enchanted player, that player exiles the top card of their library until end of turn. The creature's controller may play that card, pay mana, blah blah blah. Is this anything? Am I am I just am I a madman? I just don't know what deck this card goes in. Like what deck wants this card? Yeah, I'm not sure. It seems powerful. I don't know, but I don't know who who wants this, and I don't know what. Like this isn't a main deck card, right? Like there's no no world where that's true. I don't know, right? I feel like I'm missing something on this. I feel like I think I've seen people say like this is like the first playable curse or something like that, and I just don't know. I think that this is I think it's cool, but I don't know. I don't know. I just wanted to see if you you all had anything on that, but you, it doesn't seem like you do. So it's fine. I I, I think it's too I read expensive. This card. I think it's uh I I it's tough to I think it would be tough to have this cost less than three. I don't know how <laughs> why you would do that. Yeah. I think it's a cool card. I just again I don't know what deck this goes into. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's just like it's it's a cool card, but like in search of what kind of home. But we'll we'll potentially find out. You know, I think I know where this goes. Mm. Uh red limited decks. <laughs> right. Perfect. I, we're, I we're think this is a comm- it's a bomb. <laughs> this is a commander card too yeah i mean sure you know sure because you're cursing somebody and having some you got fun. a million million manas to spend on all your spells right can we can we though can we talk about a real card i think sure. uh cemetery prowler one gg for a wolf it's three four with vigilance because why not three four vigilance for one green green whenever it attacks excuse me whenever it etbs or attacks exile a card from a graveyard Spells you cast cost one generic mana less for each card type they share with cards exiled with Sanitary Prowler. So this is that series of, this is the green version of the series. Surprise, the green one is probably the best. Mm. Uh, and mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> I th- I mean, I think that this this is good in that I think it, so the, the green does this kind of stuff a lot. And I, I typically, I have fallen into this trap if you are a long time listener of this podcast i have found myself getting falling into the trap of like oh it's making my my stuff cost less i can you know i can more quickly fill the board but i think what's good about this is it is both hindering some strategies and boosting your own i don't think this is like a modern playable card but i think that it's it's good on etb it's a repeatable effect that can hurt graveyard strategies uh, it can make your your spells cheaper to cast, so sure, why not? I kind of feel like this is maybe a nice threat, almost in like the Tarmogoyf slot of some black-green style deck, where you have interaction that you can put certain cards into people's graveyards, whether it's with hand disruption or removal. Yep. Whereas, you know, like, I wouldn't want this in a stompy deck, where I'm just trying to play as many creatures as possible. Because unless the opponent is putting cards into their yard or you're killing creatures in combat, chances are you're not actually getting much of an effect. It also, what I don't like about this card that I think requires like some setup on your part is that you don't want to hit lands with it. And that's one of the most common cards to just end up in the graveyard organically. In not in historic, I wouldn't say in modern well, it is, but yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I don't know. And like fabled passage is a card in historic that a lot of decks play. Yeah cycling lands exist 
I mean, I just think it's a, I think it's an option. I mean, I honestly don't know if it's like really better than something like a scavenging ooze. Like scavenging ooze, he's played main deck because of the the popularity of graveyard strategies in historic, and so I don't know if I'd play this over that. There also is no better two drop in green in historic. Really, that's that's a good point. You know what I mean? And well. Uh, you have that wolf, that GG three three that draws a card when you swing with six power. The pack leader. Yeah. The pack leader. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, but I don't think that's better than scavenging ooze because scavenging ooze, if you're playing against, like, it's going to be bigger than than anyway. That's a different discussion. But I I think that that's part of the reason that that sees a lot of of main deck plays. That it's just the best value at two. I do think this card is really good on like it's really hard to argue with this card on rate. It's a three four vigilance for three that does that does something. I feel like the cost reduction mechanics not gonna happen like very frequently at all. Just my gut is that it's not gonna come up that often. I could be wrong. But we'll see. We'll see. Dave Dave, which which cemetery uh variant do you think is better? Is it on this list? <sighs> yeah. I mean I I don't know. The more that I look so I looked at all these cards for a long time and was like one of these has to be good, right? Like and maybe it is the green one. I kind of think that the, I kind of think that the blue one is better <laughs> because yeah, the, you, the illuminator. Yeah, so cemetery illuminator for generic blue blue for a two three flyer. It exiles a card from a graveyard, but it says you may look at the top card of your library at any time. Once each turn, you may cast a spell from the top of your library if it shares a card type with the card exiled with cemetery illuminator. I do wish that it had flash. It feels like it should have flash. It doesn't have flash, but. It draws you cards. Like I kind of feel yeah. like that's that's almost gonna be if you get one card off of this, like that's great, right? You get one extra draw essentially. I think that's pretty good. If you get two, I think you're really doing it. It has flying. It's a good card that just kind of fits in with the shell that's already there as far as spirits go, I think, and just kind of you can go to town. So that's part of why I feel like I like this one better. It's still a hit with Coco if someone's playing, you know bant at this point which doesn't really happen that much but um i just feel like this one might be better yeah what's interesting stan i think you mentioned this when i was talking about the the green one is that you're like well the opponent has to have something in their deck like when are they going to have a creature because you run no interaction remember that this is a card from a graveyard so it can be your own Mm -hmm. so like i was when i was thinking about this card i was like well i play no interaction in spirits basically like you're just kind of like hoping to fill the board and fly over them and then i was like well there's probably a good reason i would have a spirit in my graveyard like i would maybe have popped like the one of the protection spirits or something like that or just like attacked into something or blocked with Killed something one of your creatures with yeah. removal yeah and so i think there's i think there's plenty of options for you to have a creature to exile with this card and then hopefully get a few extra draws off the top so yeah I, yeah, I feel like Good it's point. possible. I also like the red one, but I just like the red one because it's two mana. Like that's that's the only reason I kind of have that one on my radar a little bit. It's the cheapest one of the cycle. Um, I think that its ability will come up even le- maybe even less than the green ones does in some ways. But I, I just like that it's a harsh mentor, I guess. But harsh mentor was never that good. So is that the cemetery one? Yeah, the cemetery ga- cemetery gatekeeper. Yeah. Yeah, is that? I thought that was on our list. I can't. It's find on our it. list. It's up. It's up above. I'm just bundling okay. them all together oh, so yeah. we can keep going. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that that it's this is just like harsh matter effect. People are like, and I think it's worse, like in modern especially, because yeah. like there's a lot of activated abilities and stuff like that happening in modern. And I I just don't think cemetery gatekeeper has it because it's just way too conditional for not enough damage. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think I prefer the blue one. I, I my money's on the blue one. I guess is what I would say. How many are you gonna buy? Ah, sixteen on arena. Yeah, I'm buying them all on arena. <laughs> Stan, you were kind of you kind of sat out that cemetery round. What's uh, where do you want to take us on a different direction? As long as we're talking about flying spirits, there one of the cards that I was looking at a lot is Dream Shackle Geist. One mm-hmm. blue blue for a flying spirit at the beginning of combat on your turn. Choose up to one tap target creature or target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. And I was thinking about, you know, what this could do in a spirits deck if it ever finds its way in there. Because on the one hand, your spirits already have evasion. So like the tap target creature doesn't necessarily do anything. But that second clause of target creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step, I feel like is a good way to maybe stabilize without having to hold back blockers. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially because, like, spirits, they're powerful, but they're fairly small. They'll often lose on defense. So being able to maybe prevent your opponent from attacking with an extra creature every turn could be enough to, I don't know, get you out of parity or present a faster clock than whatever the opponent's yeah. doing. I just feel like this one is so much worse than the than the one that already exists. Neville Guest Herald. I don't know. I mean, yes and no. Like I like what Stan's saying is true where it's like the 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 doesn't untap during its next untap sub I think is actually pretty huge. Yeah, but Neville Guest Herald has flash and this doesn't. Yeah. So you can I, you can tap it during their upkeep and then it's the same functionally it's the same thing. Sure. You know? Yeah, I just I think that But if you have rattle chains, everything has flash. Well that too. Yeah, I mean, t- totally true. I mean, Nimble Gas Herald's a 2-1. This is a 3-1. That will add up more, of course. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know if either of them... I mean, they compete for the same slot, right? I'm not I'm not sure if I do think this this does find play over Nimble Gas. I do agree with that. But Yeah, they, they play well together, right? If you have that out and you, and you have this ready to attack... You cast a creature, you tap it down. This makes sure it stays tapped. Right. Yeah, but then you I mean like you st- you only have room for so many three drops in that deck. Like right. even even like the the pioneer power level one or something like that, right? But oops, all three drops. That's a deck. Good point. It's a great deck. Great, great deck. <laughs> they both come down off Coco. Yes. So. Which is good for sure. Yeah. I okay, speak. What do you okay, got? Okay, hold on. Here's what I got. This is this is my favorite color. Inspired idea. Two and a blue sorcery. Uh, it's also a cleave sorcery. It has the cleave cost is three blue blue. So you may cast this for its cleave cost if you do remove the words in square brackets. And it reads, draw three cards. Shane, draw three cards for tuna blue. That sounds really good. Oh, wait. Bracket, your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. <laughs> Here, Here's what we're talking about, though. You can okay? only cast one of these. How weird it's is a, that? Go ahead. Oh, wow. That's a good point. Yeah. Reduced by three. <laughs> Okay, that makes it a lot worse. Um, I'm ignoring the cleave cost. Sure. Because, because, because <laughs> I, think, I, I think the good part is the two and a blue default cost. Yeah. I think I, the, just to say just, really quickly, yeah. the cleave cost, just so we're all clear, is, is at rate for an uncommon at yes. instant. Three blue blue should get you three cards at instant speed. It used to be, it yes. wasn't uncommon. It was called Jace's Ingenuity. But anyway. Yeah, this, is, this is not great for the cleave cost. But okay, the hand reducing thing I think is actually totally fine for like a Phoenix style deck, I think, because you're operating with a, a small amount of cards. You want to 
cast them as soon as you draw them. You're you're just churning through your deck. You're casting a lot of cheap spells. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just too dangerous. Maybe it's too expensive, even a deck like that, because you're like, what am I going to find time to cast this two and a blue, draw three type thing? What if you um, have resolved a Seagate Restoration or have a Reliquary Tower in play? Sure. Perfect. That's the combo, right? That's the dream? I mean, I don't know if a, a three for three is like a dream. You know what I mean? Like, we could just be casting some treasure cruises in Pioneer or something. Yeah. Exactly. That's the big problem for me is like the deck where, you know, we have access to treasure cruise. And then in the other format, we have access to like, to like Faithless Looting, which is like that Faithless Looting I'd just rather have anyway for as far as draw spells go. And then, you know, this and another card in the set that I wanted to talk about both compete a little bit with Expressive Iteration, where it's kind of like, which one is better there? I kind of am like, I, I don't know. I, I definitely looked at this card for a long time being like, I am missing something here. <laughs> what am I missing here? Risk not good it is, Dave. Yeah. What, what, what if we played with Hazaret the Fervent? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. They're going. I love Hazaret. Yeah. All right. Can we talk about a weird card? <laughs> Please. Faithbound Judge. The Judge. One white white. For a creature spirit soldier that has defender, flying, vigilance, at the beginning of your upkeep, if Faithbound Judge has two or fewer judgment counters on it, put a judgment counter on it. As long as Faithbound Judge has three or more judgment counters on it, it can attack as though it didn't have defender. Okay. I'm using the I'm using my purple gems as my yes. my judgment counters. Yeah, these are judgment counters. Uh, disturb five white white. So a seven mana cost disturb. Oh, by the way, it's a four four flyer. So it's a it's a big card if you get some attack it's a big blocker yes that too um and then the disturb cost is five white white and it turns into sinner's judgment it's a white or a curse that says enchant player the beginning of your upkeep put a judgment counter on sinner's judgment if there are three or more judgment counters enchanted player loses the game if sinner's judgment we put in graveyard from anywhere exile it instead people are kind of into this card like on twitter and stuff it seemed like it but i yeah certainly for modern i'm like now this is not this is not doing anything for no. you there i don't i no way but i mean seven is so much and a four four that just dies as soon as you get three judgment counters on it seems kind of i don't know you know what sinner's judgment side reminds me of hmm. approach of the second son oh sure where it's like this expensive finisher in a white control deck that doesn't actually win you the spot after you resolve it. You have to spend seven mana and then wait a little bit. At least you gain seven life with Approach of the Second Sun, so you possibly yeah, right? you know. exactly. I don't. I don't really get why people are excited about this card. Like, I mean, it doesn't win on the spot. Five white whites, wild can like bounce it with anything. Like any enchantment removal can just just wipe this thing off the board. Like I must be missing something, or maybe it's just like people want to to have a funny win con. Yeah. And even and like a three mana four four defender doesn't even seem playable. Like I just don't get it. You know what I always say? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Mm-hmm. We're judging the judge. All right. Uh, my favorite episode. That's of the that title. Movie podcast. Title. Title. All right. How about? Um, I'm surprised no one's mentioned this one yet. Uh, Thalia, guardian of Thraben. Seems like a cool card when I read Is it. She new. New to me. I don't know any. I mean, it's now it's now in Pioneer, right? That's the thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's good. That's awesome. I mean, it's a great card. It's a nice tool for all three of these formats to have, I think, you know. And you know, jokes aside, this is a big gift for Pioneer because the best deck in that format is Visit Phoenix. Arguably one of the best decks. So having this really cheap 
creature that is really good against Phoenix style decks, I think is pretty huge um, and could maybe help balance that format a little bit or make white a little stronger. Yeah. I think it's a great reprint. You know, I think that it it's kind of needed. I think that it probably helps a little bit in standard as well. So it's a good card. Thalia's great. How about Ascendant Pack Leader, which we haven't talked about at all. Is this just a standard card? What's this card? This is the green that's a 2-1 that it enters the battlefield with a 1-1 counter on it if you control permanent with mana value 4 or greater. And then every time you cast a spell with mana value 4 or greater, it gets another counter on it. Is this is this anything? So I think it's a standard card where you're playing like Essica's Chariot. Sure, yeah. You know? Maybe in historic with like questing beast, but even in these like green stompy decks, you want to go up the curve. And I would rather play pelt collector on turn one than this. Yeah, this is like a cheap spell that maybe you cast on turn five when you double spell, or on turn three if you know you're going to play a, a four drop the next turn. Totally makes sense to me. All right, we only have a couple of cards left here on the list. One I wanted to bring up that I think we talk about really, really for a short amount of time is uh, Lantern of the Lost. Another yeah. Lantern. And what a Lantern. I think this might be one of the sneakiest, best cards in the set. I, I agree, although there's some nuance to this card. So why don't, why don't you read it real quick, Stan? For a single generic mana, it is an artifact. And when it enters the battlefield, exile target card from a graveyard. And then it has one tap, exile, lan- exile Lantern of the Lost. Exile all cards from all graveyards, then draw a card. So... You have to exile it. You're not replaying this with Luris. Right. Which sucks. <laughs> I wish you could. Yeah. And that's but, sort of one of the problems, right? So there's yeah. there's there's kind of like a triangle now of cards like this in modern at least. So there and actually in historic, I guess too, because Relic of Progenitus is available in, in historic in historic too, right? True, not in Pio. So we got Relic of Progenitus, we have the the Soul Guide Lantern. Soul Guide Lantern, and then we have Lantern of the Lost. The difference between Soul Guide Lantern and this one is that Soul Guide Lantern only exiles target player's graveyard, but the draw a card is a separate line. So when you exile their graveyard, you do not get to draw a card. So this one has basically Relic's ability, which is sacrifice and tap this to, to get rid of it and exile all cards from all graveyards and draw a card. But what you don't get from from this that you get from Relic is tapping it to um to get rid of a card every turn but with lantern loss you get to pick off a specific card that that is really troublesome that's in their graveyard right now the same way that you can with soul guide lantern so weird and like you said stan can't play this with luris also can't play this in a deck with a lot of graveyard payoffs because you're going to exile your own graveyard when you activate this there's one other thing that i think makes this like in the fight against soul guide lantern is that you have to pay the one on this to exile graveyards soul guide you don't soul guide is like tormod's crypt once it's down you can just tap it for free yeah good point so it is it's an interesting trifecta and this is one where i'm curious how it plays out because when soul guide was spoiled i didn't necessarily read that as like oh this is going to replace relic in some decks there's a tension actually now between those two cards because soul guy did prove to be quite good especially against cards with escape it's well and it's really good also because with luris is the other thing that's right, big about right, soul god right. lantern is that you can play it with and, luris. And relic for that matter yeah 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 so cool card i think it's definitely a card that people are going to have they're going to play it's just another entry in grave good graveyard hate dot cards 
How how good or not good is Reckless Impulse? One in the red sorcery, exile the top two cards of your library until end your end the end of your next turn you may play those cards. I mean, you know, it's like a it's like a weird light up the stage type thing. It's like it's like expressive iteration at home type thing. <laughs> it's just like I don't know. It's interesting though, right? I mean here's the here's the thing about this card. I th- I think it's like almost there. You know, it's a light at the stage that you can play not in aggressive decks, right? But we already kind of have a light up the stage that you can play in not aggressive decks, and that is what Shane said, it's expressive iteration. But the problem with expressive iteration is that you can um you know, you can't play expressive iteration on turn two. You can play this card on turn two. And so there's this kind of weird mana curve thing going on here. The other thing is that if you happen to be in a deck with cost reducers like Storm or something, you can reduce the cost of this and cast it for one red. You can't do that with Expressive Iteration. I only say that because one of the first decks I wondered if there was a chance to play this could be Storm or something like that, especially when it only costs a single red to do it. And you get just a bunch of extra cards really fast. But I, I don't think Storm really works that way, so I, I'm not I'm not a big believer. Uh, needless to or kind of like summing this all up, I kind of think it's not good enough to get there in our formats. But curious if you guys disagree. I, I think this is better than Light Up State, which Expressive Iteration already is. But I think this is just, like, outclasses that card, too. Uh... It costs two. That's a big problem. Like in the decks that where I play that up the stage, I don't want to play this card. Now, I yeah, I wouldn't play this in Monterey Prowess. I wouldn't play this in Boros Burn and on in Historic myself. I think any deck that plays light up the stage should be playing expressive iteration. Like should bend its mana to play expressive iteration. Mm. Right. Like I, I I don't know if light up the stage is is a good enough reason to be mono red. It's not the reason you're mono red. You're mono red because you want to play a bunch of burn spells. And you want to play like sixteen deck. lands. Yeah. And, and play burn spells. Exactly. And so that this is a card that gives you it's one of the only options you have for card advantage there. And I so I think if you're doing damage to your opponent in a way that's fast, light of the stage is totally fine. One one mana for two cards is extremely tough to beat and and they do linger until the next turn which this does too right which is cool yeah i just think the main thing that i keep coming back to with this is you can cast this when you have nothing else to do on turn two in a deck that is slightly more uh interactive controlly than aggressive and play lands off of it like that's kind of the thing that makes both iteration and light up the stage so excellent right that's one of the ways you get your two for one is just playing land sequencing with expressive iteration is quite challenging though i i always find you know first off you got to remember not to play a land before you do it you got to remember you can't cast it on turn two like all of those things you got to make sure that you want to be able to use this whatever spell goes into the exile zone so whether whether it's a land whether it's a spell da, 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 da. <laughs> um so i think this card's like almost there but i don't think it's quite there time will tell that was a lot of cards it was i don't think we this have is- any more to talk about right who cares? We've been doing this for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's maybe one or two, but what's your favorite card from this whole set? Mine's easy. Mine's yeah. Chandra just dressed to kill is my oh, favorite card really? in this really? deck. Yeah. Yes. Favorite. Man. You said favorite. I I think That's a good it, point. I think it has the most upside in some ways. Personally, uh, I like uh, Zach's call out about uh, that Nightmare House of Dolls or whatever. I feel like that's a combo piece that someone other than us is going to enjoy building a deck out of sure um so i think there's something with that card dollhouse of horrors it's called actually but um i think for me my favorite card or the card i'm most interested in seeing what happens is chandra is it is it weird that i'm gonna play like an is it a deck like 
<laughs> with uh, the exile the cards instead of draw them thing. I just think that's cool. I mean, it's going to just be like Burgie again, where it's like not going to actually do anything for me. But Well, at least you already have all the cards you'd want in there. Just Good swap out Burgie and put this card in and see if it's any better. Is that your favorite, Shane? I think it's just like the most, it's like the ones with the most potential to me. I mean, I think Blood Fountain is going to do something in modern. I think Dread Fugue is pretty cool. It's going to see some play. So I think those are like, those are cheap and good. I think Aruth is just like an interesting design. Yeah, for me, it's either Chandra. I mean, I still think Path of Peril is interesting. You know, if you if you like spells that kill creatures. I, I also like that there's a bunch of Dracula cards. Dracula, I'll just, I'll just say Dracula. It's my favorite card. Uh, last card that we didn't get to talk about that I'm just going to name, Graf Reaver. I think that's a real card. Yeah, it's it's a card. I like that one too. Oh, you know what? I got it. My favorite card, Storm Carved Coast. It's the, is it? Slow land. You think Perfect. you're going to be playing that? I don't know, but a nice, cool, new, is it gold card that sometimes comes in untapped? Seems fair to me. All right, Sam, get us out of here. That does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. You should also do the same for any of Zach Ryle, aka Mana Symbols content, whether it's the Serum Visions podcast, whether it's Faithless Brewing, whether it's the This Week in Modern video series, check out his work and we'll have links to all of that in the show notes today. If you'd like to submit a question to our podcast, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word. You can email The Dive Down at gmail.com. We read those. Or you can submit an audio question via podinbox.com slash The Dive Down. Your question may appear on a future episode of the show. If you'd like to support The Dive Down, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash The Dive Down, or support us while playing Magic with a Mana Traders account. If you sign up for Mana Traders using promo code The Dive Down 2021, you'll get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic online cards. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and abolish daylight savings time! Let's do it. Returning to the show, Hoff. I'm sorry, Tanner. <laughs> What's a Hoff? It's an actor. Hoff, Hoff. Hoff off the Hoff. That's right. <laughs> Dave Hoffbarger here, the, go- the Goff father. Tanner. <laughs>